Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. If the God of the Bible really exists, I would go gladly to hell. And anybody happy to go to heaven to worship such a creature is morally bankrupt. It is because God's wrath is real that His mercy is relevant. Unless you have a real wrath, the biblical concepts of mercy and of grace are robbed of their meaning. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Two words that could land you in jail. This is Wretched Radio. Christian nationalism being bandied about constantly. Sometimes it has synonyms like you are theocratic, you are a totalitarian. They'll even call it fascist. They'll say that we're trying to impose some sort of theonomic structure because we want God law imposed on everybody. And because they are abusing the semantic range of what could be defined as a Christian nationalist, you are going to get broad brushed with the KKK. I'm not kidding. You see, on the one extreme, you've got people who claim to be Christians who put on white bedsheets and burn crosses in people's front yards. They're called Christian nationalists. On the other hand, you've got somebody who happens to go to church and maybe hum along with Lee Greenwood. Not necessarily God Bless the USA, but any Lee Greenwood song. Clearly, you're patriotic and you're a Christian. You're a Christian nationalist. Is there a distinction made between the two? Absolutely not. Do we need a fresher reminder than AOC? You'll recall this clip. Suddenly, she's a theologian. But listen to how she frames the life issue. And who's the bad guy in this? Just listen to this. Who's the bad guy? The people who demand that they can take the life of their child or the people who say, hey, 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 you can't take innocent human life. Or people who say, oh, but you're, you know, you're you're harming a life. I believe this is life. Well, some religions don't. Huh. So how about that? All right. How's about that? So the, the incremental case she's about to make is if one religion says this, another religion says that. Therefore, religion doesn't belong in the conversation. Specifically, Christians. Our Jewish brothers and, and sisters. <laughs> ah. Jimmy, did we change the air filter? I got something stuck in my throat when she said our Jewish <laughs> brothers and sisters. You, you okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are able to have an abortion according to their faith. You know, there are so many faiths that do not have the same definition of life as fundamentalist Christians. There we are. And there it is. You fundamentalist Christians. Hold so, on. We how what about their rights? What about their right to exercise their faith? It's ridiculous. And it is it's it is theocratic. There you have it. Get ready, Christian. If this tale continues to be told, you could be in some hot water for the sake of AOC. If she happens to be listening. Hold on. Got something (laughs) stuck in my throat again. Or if you happen to be of the opinion that Christianity has been just terrible for society and we need to jettison any semblance of Christian morals or values. Stumbled into a website called Inspiring Philosophy. I think somebody sent this to idea at wretched.org. He cites a study that we talked about on Wretched a number of years ago. 
uh, can't think of the fellow's name, Mayberry, something like that. He's, he cites a number of studies. Because, But one particular sociologist did a little research on the effects of missionary activity in a foreign land, categorizing two different types of, of missionaries. One type of missionary activity was the building of society. Let's go in there, teach people how to read, write, build bridges. We'll, we'll help the society improve versus evangelistic missionaries who went to save people. What were the effects of those two missionary activities? The conclusion from this sociologist was those who went to help the country didn't. And those who went to save people did help the country because people got saved and those values then became a part of their DNA and they went about the business of doing kind things and helping others. That's because Christianity helps others. This, I thought, was a pretty helpful and pithy presentation on how good Christianity has been for the West. It has been shown that historically, Protestants were catalysts for increasing literacy and education and spreading democracy around the world. There, there's a reason for that. We, we, we didn't go to spread democracy. We went to spread the gospel, and we wanted people to read so they could read their Bibles. Robert Woodbury says, Conversionary Protestants were a crucial catalyst initiating the development and spread of religious liberty, mass education, mass printing, newspapers, voluntary organizations, most major colonial reforms, and the codification of legal protections for non-whites in the 19th and early 20th centuries. Hmm. If the Christian worldview led to authoritarianism and extreme nationalism, we wouldn't expect to see democratic institutions a focus on education, and civil liberties to come out of Christian societies. But historically, the opposite seems to have occurred. Supporting the point Christianity does not lead to authoritarian ideologies. Yeah, you Christian nationalist, you! Don't you just hate when history gets in the way of your narrative, which is exactly why they don't want to actually teach history. Because it does get in the way of this ridiculous accusation that any Christian who is patriotic is a terrorist. Woodbury notes the historical evidence indicates many Protestants help people around the world fight for civil liberties and anti-colonial measures, like transferring power away from the British to indigenous people. Missionaries found that colonial abusers made mission work extremely hard. So in order to win more converts, missionaries often fought against abusers. Missionary periodicals spread information about abuses to win more support for their causes and ultimately ended many abuses committed against the native populations around the world. This is not to say missionaries always did the right thing or were always perfect. There are many examples of missionaries doing harmful things to indigenous people. But overall, Protestant missionaries appear to have been a force for good. Much more so than, by the way, the categories of missionary versus society building. It was the Roman Catholics that typically attempted to improve a culture, structures, language, literacy, rights. Let's go in and, and teach them about this stuff. And it didn't stick. But when the Protestants went in to evangelize people, then their worldview changed. It's not easy to change a culture. We've seen that. It's usually not talked about in the headlines, but you'll see a culture where the United States pumps in tons of money. 
let's let's teach them how to live the way that we do. And it, I, I mean, is there an example where it's worked? Because you have to persuade people on a different level that this is a better way of living. And that is why Protestant evangelistic missionaries were more successful in helping cultures improve. Protestants also helped to advance literacy and education, being that it was necessary to read the Bible. Protestant areas consistently printed more books per capita and exported more printed material per capita than Catholic areas. For many elites, mass printing seemed detrimental as it would spread books to those not equipped to interpret or understand them. Protestant missionaries effectively changed this by forcing other groups to compete with how much printed material they put out. In Puritan New England, the settlers made a written alphabet in Algonquian so they could translate the Bible into that language and work to educate the American Indian population of New England, teaching them things like civil law and political theory. No, you wanted to rob them of their native religion. Well, we did want to evangelize them. No apologies for that. But listen to the effects of the the Protestant effort to try to help them read God's word. They They developed a language. Not the first time, by the way. Don't forget, it was the Bible translations in England, in Germany, you could argue Switzerland, that codified those languages. There needed to be some sort of tome that was a standard, and the Bible was it. Why? Because Christianity is good for people. The abolitionist movement was largely run by Protestants who became convinced the Bible forbid slavery and organized boycotts around goods that were made using slave labor. Protestants also worked to educate local indigenous populations, unlike other groups, and disperse power by developing and spreading new organizational forms and protest tactics. They encouraged democratic institutions, political organizing for rights, and extending equality to non-white populations. Missionaries spread SMO forms and tactics internationally. Early Protestant missionaries tried to reform what they considered abuses in other societies, e.g. foot binding, female genital cutting, widow burning, and consummating marriage before age 12. Immolation. It was all the rage in India. Christians put a stop to it. The burning of a human being alive? Most likely, if you bump into somebody who has no recollection of history, has never studied anything sociological about what has impacted a culture, and has given birth to institutions like universities, which all of them were started as Christian institutions on our land, Harvard, Yale. There, there were Christian institutions. It all was birthed out of Christianity. But if people don't study that history and they listen to AOC, never a good idea. They are going to think that Christianity is just terrible because it impinges. It just makes somebody under the thumb of Christianity and it robs them of their rights when just Exactly the opposite is true. Christianity has been very, very good for the West. In fact, the West as we know it, um, sorry, my atheist friend, you can thank the Bible. This is Wretched Radio. Here's a preborn story that starts out a little on the bitter side, but ends up being very sweet. Neighborhood pastor's daughter ends up pregnant and 
she was very abortion-minded, not wanting to face the consequences of her indiscretion. And she met her baby on the ultrasound. She just wept uncontrollably. Couldn't do it. That baby's alive today because an ultrasound was underwritten for a girl. And otherwise, even though she was a Christian, saw abortion as the easy answer. That is the power of an ultrasound. When a woman in crisis sees her baby... 80% of the time she chooses life for just $28, you could provide one of those ultrasounds. But I would ask you, how many ultrasounds might you be able to provide? The more ultrasounds, the more saved babies. Please consider what you can do at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Why do we believe so much in biblical counseling? Well, it's comments like these. I just haven't thought of it that way. Pretty intense, huh? Those are comments from real people receiving real biblical counseling for real issues in season one of Transformed. Released this year, Transformed is like nothing else you'll see on Christian TV. You're a fly on the wall witnessing real biblical counseling sessions. With Dr. Greg Gifford, professor of biblical counseling at the Masters University, he's our host and biblical counselor conducting these sessions, which deal with issues like anxiety, OCD, anger, trauma, depression, and much more. And Dr. Dale Johnson, the executive director of ACBC, is our other host. Dr. Johnson chalk talks the sessions to provide a deeper understanding of biblical counseling. Transformed is truly a one-of-a-kind production, providing you with an up-close look at the hope and relief only the Bible can provide. Transformed, from brokenness to wholeness. And it's available now at transformed.org. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, Affordable Biblical Health Sharing, has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Know your reformers. Ulrich Zwingli was a Swiss reformer who pioneered expository preaching, introduced the regulative principle, and brought a republican government to Switzerland. He fought against the Roman Catholic Church for theological and political independence and died in battle. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Essentially, the data shows that around the world, Christian groups have been very influential in promoting democracy, human rights, and reducing government corruption. No, that can't be. So says the liberal. This is Wretched Radio. Thank you to Inspiring Philosophy for doing a rather pithy job summarizing Robert Mayberry's sociological study about the effects of religions on cultures. And it is undeniable 
We've read quotes, at least from some reasonable atheist, who would say, uh, the West was built on the Bible. It's unmistakable. The predominant cult is Protestant Christianity. Therefore, all of the good stuff that we see sprang out of it. But these days, we're being told, no, 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 you Christians, you're going to lead to fascism. Well, that's a lovely accusation. It's just not sustainable from history. It does not make sense to claim Christianity leads to nationalism or authoritarianism. These ideas likely flourish when people begin to reject Christianity, not embrace it. An embrace of Christianity, especially Protestant Christianity, is likely to result in more civil liberties and democratic values. That's a fact. That is what the influence of Christianity has been on culture. Don't, 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 don't let folks get away with this. Just try to think of some of the categories here. Literacy, Christianity, democracy. Well, representative republic, making sure that we have representation. Uh, all ch- acts of charity, hospitals, universities, education started out with the Sunday schools. All of the good stuff that we see in Western civilization came from Christianity. Similarly, Roland to Salem ran a similar study and found the same result. Higher Protestant populations are more likely to have higher levels of voice and accountability, political stability, citizenship empowerment, and civil society pluralism. To Salem looked at the effects Protestantism, Catholicism, and Islam had on nations. It found Protestantism correlated with higher levels of personal freedom, media independence, and the promotion of basic human rights. The effect of Protestantism on the voice and accountability measure and the CIRA measure of citizenship empowerment attained statistical significance. Catholicism was also positively associated with higher levels of voice and accountability and citizenship empowerment. Islam was negatively correlated with these measures, but did fail to achieve a threshold of statistical significance. So essentially, Islam did not correlate with desirable outcomes that increased freedom and democratic values. Protestantism and Catholicism also predicted more non-governmental organizations among the populace, whereas Islam was in the non-significant range. Similar results were found for political stability and the ability to create positive political transformation. Essentially, the data shows that around the world, Christian groups have been very influential in promoting democracy, human rights, and reducing government corruption. The end. That is the fact, ma'am. As we see Christianity abate or get shoved aside, you can anticipate that the great institutions will crumble with it. And aren't they already? Whether it is our form of government under assault, whether it is universities, the education system, how we treat women and children, you just can expect it to get worse. Nearly 40% of Gen Z adults believe Jesus wasn't sinless. We got a problem, and it's more than just Houston. It's everywhere where people do not follow the precepts of Jesus Christ. This is the American Bible Study, a society study, State of the Bible 2022. When it comes to curiosity about Jesus or the Bible, here's the fascinating part. 75% of Gen Zers were at least a little curious. Okay. In other words, the majority, eh, what a eh, little, you know, yeah, I guess guess so. Is it on the history chat? Is it a TikTok video? Can I, what? 
There is some good news, however. Now, these statistics, they don't sound great, but actually, if you're in sales, they are. If you're in sales, you'd recognize these statistics and go, hey, the fields are white and harvest waiting. Let me go pack up my van with my grip and get out there and sell something. 21% say they are very curious about Christianity. And 31% saying they were extremely curious. That means three out of the 10 people that you bump into to evangelize, they'll, they'll be interested. And that has been my experience, frankly, the number has been higher if if what we do on Witness Wednesdays is statistically accurate in any way, shape, or form. There's very, very few students that I talk to that are disinterested. Very few. They are interested. We need to be sharing the gospel. And if you don't know how to do that, well, that wouldn't be much of a surprise. Here's another survey for your consideration. Two-thirds of American Christians don't know any methods for telling others about Jesus. Lifeway, added again, suggests more than six in ten believers don't know any methods for telling others about their faith in Christ. (sighs) Don't need a method. Tell people about your faith in Christ. I was a really big, bad, terrible, awful, wicked sinner. And Jesus Christ died for me while I was yet sinning. And it was the goodness of God that led me to repentance. My sins are forgiven. I've got a place in heaven. See what I did there, Jimmy? I made it That's good. kind of rap-like right there. <laughs> that, that There's your testimony. You don't need methods. Now, you do need to bring about a conversation regarding sin. Not boo-boos, not oopses, law-breaking. Because remember, the gospel is judicial. And while we want to stress the judicial nature of the gospel, don't forget about God's love in this. Because if we just make it about God's sternness, well, then I think we're violating Romans chapter 2. It is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Yes, people should be afraid of God, but they should run to him because Jesus has taken care of our problem with God, which is his wrath abiding upon us. We need to talk about sin so that hell is reasonable and that the Savior looks great. So let's keep it judicial, but make sure that it is a demonstration of how good Jesus is, how amazing he is. Not to do a spoiler or anything, and well, not that you're actually going to be at my church on Sunday, but uh, that's, that's the big point that I'm going to attempt to make. It is going to be a sermon. Just warning everybody at church, it is laden with law. Every church service should be marked by law or gospel. Every sermon should be marked by law or gospel. Every hymn should be marked by law or gospel. The overall narrative of a church service should be law and gospel. We need to use the law, and I'm going to do a lot of that but not for no end, not just to be a moralist, not just to be somebody who scolds and chastises, but so that ultimately when we're done taking a law beating, we look to Jesus and go, oh, oh, wow, do I need him. That's how we share our faith. 
Use the law, whatever form. It doesn't need to be, have you ever told a lie? Use the law on yourself. Use it on them. Bring about the knowledge of sin. Tell them about the Savior. Back to the study. Two-thirds don't know how to share Jesus. 52% of Americans who identify as Christians believe that encouraging someone to change their religious beliefs is offensive and disrespectful. Ah, the war of words. Really? Do you mean that every time that I say to somebody, hey, I think I've got a better way, I'm being offensive? Really? So parents, don't correct your children anymore. Teachers, stop teaching the student. Well, well, actually, in, in large measure, that's actually already happened. The point is, just because you say to somebody you're wrong doesn't mean you're mean. It means that you're right and you want to share something good. 66% of Christians are not familiar with any methods for telling others about Jesus. 70% have not shared with a stranger how to become a Christian in the past six months. I'll bet the number is higher than that. I'll bet it is. We used to be soul winners. Save souls revolutionized, and I don't mean that in a militaristic way. It revolutionized societies. It brought people up. Christianity makes boats float, not drown people. The Oh, this is one last note on this study. Can please, if you're in the polling business, can we stop this? I don't understand why Christian polling companies always have to do a breakdown of ethnic groups. Why, what, what are you doing? That can't be contributing to unity. That has to be contributing to disunity. This is what black Christians do with evangelism. This is what white people do with it. This is what Hispanic people. Why, what does that have to do with what the Bible says and how we are supposed to love one another? And by the way, if you're looking for a way to love one another, great sermon that I heard on Sunday, Romans chapter 12. You know, therefore, therefore, all of the preceding 11 chapters be renewed, have your mind transformed. But then, then Paul says something amazing. Don't be judgmental. Don't be judgmental. And here's motivation for you to not be judgmental. Look at all the different gifts so that the work of the body can get done. That is what keeps us from being judgmental, which is yet another reminder. It is only Christianity that it keeps people from being judgmental and from being racist. Christianity is good for people. Not the Christianity that seeks to make societies better, but a Christianity that seeks to save souls. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Not real sure I can tell this first story without confusing you, because honestly, I haven't been able to read it without being confused myself. Basically, a Utah County's attorney election has gotten pretty strange. Allegations of cannibalism and ritualistic sexual abuse of children have been thrown around, with the county sheriff also weighing in on the matter, noting that the investigation dates back to 1990. If you're interested and go find the story and you're able to decipher the details, I sure would be interested in what you come up with. To Minnesota we now go, where news is Minneapolis is set to become the first major U.S. city to publicly broadcast the Islamic call to prayer on loudspeakers throughout the city. For non-Muslim residents, just think of it as your city leaders providing you with your very own 5 a.m. wake-up call, seven days a week. 
And as we inch closer to a Supreme Court decision on the future of Roe v. Wade, lawmakers in Illinois are expanding access to baby murder for underage girls without any type of consent or notification to parents. The lawmakers of Illinois really should win some type of award for this or a permanent stay in prison. Well, we've all watched the liberal drift of the United Methodist denomination for quite a while now. And recently, more than 60 Methodist clergy signed a statement calling for the return to core values and tenets of the Wesleyan Methodist tradition. Obviously, there's still some disagreements there with a lot of those traditions, but not quite like what we have with the current trajectory of the denomination over LGBT issues. We really all should be in prayer for our Methodist brothers and sisters. Brace yourself now. A new poll conducted by Harvard shows over... Over half of Americans believe allowing children to use preferred pronouns over, you know, the real pronouns they should use, like causes more confusion about their biological sex. 60% is the actual number of Americans that believe the pronoun business confuses kids. The other 40% believe it prevents discrimination. In reality, it likely causes more discrimination and, of course, the confusion. But the indoctrination of our kids can't happen if you don't find a way to let them live in a fantasy world full-time. A judge in Wisconsin has denied a dismissal motion from a school parents claim assisted their child with gender transition over their objections. The judge ruled the lawsuit filed by the parents demonstrate a potential violation of their rights and the lawsuit will move forward. The Alliance Defending Freedom is helping with the suit that claims after telling her school she wanted to use a male name and pronouns, the 12-year-old's parents informed school officials they felt it was not in their daughter's best interest. The school, however, informed the parents they would not follow their wishes, instead intended to use whatever name and pronouns their daughter wanted. A prompt withdrawal and lawsuit later, and here we are. And don't you just love when everybody else wants to parent your child for you? It's nothing better than that. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important Dates in Christian History 1830, Charles Finney's urban revivals begin and introduce techniques that decisively affect later mass evangelism in America. Finney's innovations included the anxious bench, a forerunner to altar calls, and the use of emotional manipulation to elicit a decision for Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. How would you diagnose Cassandra, this is Wretched Radio, a brand new TV series transformed live biblical counseling, showing how the Bible is sufficient to help people like Cassandra, who you are about to meet, who came to us sad, struggling. How did she get there? What was the cause of her blues? Well, you're about to hear why, and as you do, I would ask you, How would you diagnose this? Where would you start? What would you say to Cassandra? What line of questioning would you invoke to get to the root of Cassandra's, well, let's say, anxiety fruit? One thing that bothered me that didn't go my way was I couldn't understand why my dad left. And I asked God about this over and over in my prayers as a young kid. And even when I lost my sister, my brother, my mother in a short amount of time, and even more recently in 2020 with my brother, I was so disappointed and angry because I could not come up with an answer how to even help my brother. He was in a hospital for three weeks and I couldn't touch him. I could not call him. I could not even communicate with him. 
I just didn't understand. That was a pretty rough season for all of us. Go. What would you say to her? She presents herself to you and says, could you help me noodle through this? I've been teaching self-esteem, self-love ideologies. I've collided into reality and it's been painful. And my worldview doesn't seem to be jibing with reality. What would you say to somebody like Cassandra? This is a reminder that with biblical counseling, not every issue is a sin. Not everybody who goes to a biblical counselor is reprobate. Many times it is people who are just, life is just a, a bit of a struggle. It is not coming together. And they just need some biblical wisdom. Sometimes they just need to have their theology sometimes tweaked, sometimes radically adjusted. Sometimes people just need good advice. They're dealing with relational issues, and they just need to hear wisdom from God through a counselor that helps them to just cope with this or at least have an understanding of it from God's perspective. Cassandra came into Transformed, like so many people, anxious, but the biblical counselor is going to deal with her issues a whole lot differently than will secular counselors. Cassandra believes that her primary struggle is grief. She can't seem to heal from the wounds that have been inflicted on her. And this is serious business. A secular or non-biblical Christian counselor would likely offer condolences and then a bromide of platitudes. Tomorrow's a brighter day. God works all things together for our good. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. A biblical counselor will offer sympathy, but the biblical counselor needs to go deeper than slogans and self-help mantras. The biblical counselor will use the Bible to expose, diagnose, and offer cure for the hurting heart. For that process to work, a biblical counselor must make sure the counselee understands the Bible rightly especially if that false understanding is a root of the counselee's struggle. Whoa, you mean Cassandra might be sad because her theology is off? The answer is, yeah. Do you think a secular counselor will ever dig down to find that root? And I doubt Christian counseling would either. The Bible does teach that Christians ought to love themselves. I believe it is sinful to not love yourself because the opposite of love is hate. You know, hate stirs up all kinds of strife and all kinds of stuff like that. And those are behaviors that God wants us to really stay away from. Cassandra appears to have purchased a secular worldview that's been incorporated into her Christian theology, self-help and self-love. These concepts, while not entirely wrong, are loaded with anti-biblical tentacles that cause a myriad of problems, including the inability to recover from traumatic experiences. Well, 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 our view of God, if it is not accurate, might cause us to struggle to recover. In other words, Cassandra's anxiety issue, which most likely by a psychologist or psychiatrist would be labeled some sort of medical diagnosis, that she's got depressive disorder, she's got anxiety disorder. 
Instead, the Bible says, no, let's just figure out what is causing that problem. And in this instance, it happens to be that her theology was incorrect. Are we to love ourselves? Well, I, that doesn't actually seem to be the human challenge. The Bible never commands us to love ourselves. The Bible merely assumes that we already do. Yep. And that's why Jesus used love for self as the high-water mark for loving others. Our problem isn't that we don't love ourselves enough. The problem is actually that we love ourselves too much. Now, Dr. Gifford, who is the counselor in Transformed, has to bring this lovingly to the attention of Cassandra. Uh, I know you've been de- you've been devoting an awful lot of energy into teaching others about self-love, and you have been teaching yourself that we ought to love ourselves more and more and more. That, that just isn't what the Bible teaches. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. One of the things that Paul is telling Timothy here is that when we love ourselves a lot, that's not indicative of things getting better. It's actually indicative of things getting worse. To be a lover of self is not something that's commended here. It's something that's actually condemned as being a sign of the end times or the sign of greater difficulties coming. When we think about self-esteem or self-confidence, the world is teaching us that we have to believe more in ourselves and take confidence in ourselves. The world's saying that, hey, Cassandra, hey, Greg, you guys need to take pride in who you are. You need to be confident in who you are. But what the scripture says is that we need to take confidence in Christ and to put no confidence in our flesh. Self-esteem is something that actually started in a secular environment. Humanistic psychology started teaching that in order for us to be the best us, to be actualized, that we had to have our needs met and we had to have all of these criteria met for us to be actualized and become better people. So this idea has crept into some of the way that we as Christians think because instead of saying, I need Christ, we think I need to be my best self or I need to believe more in myself. In the scripture, the scripture is going to say in in almost every area that it speaks about how you view yourself, that we're not to put confidence in our own selves and in our own flesh, but to put that confidence in Christ. And how was that message received? Uh, It was a little chilly in that room and we didn't have the air conditioning on because Dr. Gifford was lovingly, did you hear his tone, gently by using the Bible as the authority, teaching her Hey, self-love, when we are lovers of selves, that ain't a good thing. It is a bad thing. It's funny because I talked about self-esteem and placing confidence in yourself and your flesh. And biblically, we're called to place our confidence in Christ. What our pride can do, or our own desires, our selfish desires can do, is they can make me the center of all things instead of Christ the center of all things. Verse 36 of Romans 11, it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. Speaking of God. But if we were to now make this about ourselves, we could read it as for from us and through us and to us are all things, to us be glory forever. (laughs) Amen. You know, our pride puts us at the center and everything is about us. Everything's for us. Everything's from us and we're receiving the glory. So relationships become about us. 
Circumstances become about us. Jobs become about us. All of this becomes about us. Instead of, I'm confident in Christ, I'm confident in what he's done, I'm confident in his abilities, not my own. All you just heard is teaching applied directly to somebody's heart. Was Cassandra persuaded on the spot? No, she wasn't, which is why the biblical counselor gives homework. Cassandra, one of the things that I'm going to ask of you is that the things we've discussed in counseling, you would take home and start to implement and to study. And the ways that I do that is just giving you some homework assignments, some practical things to do. And so I want to start off with Philippians 3. And this is a passage that I want you to spend some time with. He starts by saying, I don't put confidence in the flesh. I put confidence in Christ. And that's going to be part of a study that I want you to do. So I want you to use this passage and at least two others. I want you to go through Ephesians 5, 2 Timothy 3, and Philippians 3, and begin to see what they talk about in regard to putting confidence in ourselves, self-esteem. Paul says putting confidence in the flesh. No, yeah, there's more homework. But did you hear the theme? It's all biblical homework. Why? Because ongoing biblical counseling Even though it's a 12-week process, it happens throughout the week in the context of a local church. Can't wait to share with you where Cassandra is today. If you'd like to be on Transform, visit wretched.org, no, transform.org slash casting. This is Wretched Radio. Hey, hey, thank you for tuning in to Wretched Radio today. We certainly appreciate your time. Did you know there is actually something in existence that gives you information on things happening at Wretched? Things like upcoming product launches or details on upcoming seasons of our productions of Wretched Radio, Wretched TV, Road Trip to Truth, Transformed, and Breaking Bread. Also, information on job openings here at Wretched. Information on upcoming sales in the Wretched store. What I'm referring to is the monthly Wretched newsletter. If you're not already receiving the Wretched newsletter, you're missing out on all of these things and more. The Wretched newsletter also contains thorough and in-depth messages on a wide range of theological topics, and that's not all. As a Wretched newsletter subscriber, you're also eligible for resources that we give away daily here at Wretched. So sign up and don't miss out on any of this stuff by becoming a Wretched newsletter subscriber by visiting our website at wretched.org, scroll to the bottom of the page, and fill out the form. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. The situation in Ukraine appears to be a long and winding and rather scary road. Tomorrow clubs are still in Ukraine. There are still club leaders there. There are still Christians who are willing to help other Christians with the very basic necessities of life. Would you have the ability to help some of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine to simply receive the bare necessities? I know that Cindy Marty is extremely grateful for your support. There just are really no words to describe the gratitude that we have. Believe me, the children and families in Ukraine are so grateful. Thank you so much for your prayers and support. Tomorrow Club's still alive and well, but 
dealing with the dangers of Ukraine. If you think that you could support some believers there, please visit tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched, tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Are we heading toward a dystopian society? Who decides what is good and evil? Who decides what truth is? Are there such things as fate or free will? Morals. Are we born with those? Or does the culture we live in inform them? Those are all really good questions and topics that we tackle daily on Wretched Radio and TV. Our goal has always been to preach the gospel, equip others to preach the gospel, and strengthen the local church. And we're only able to do that with the help of our gospel partners. If you are a Wretched Gospel partner, Thank you so much for your support, which has allowed us to create compelling quality productions that catch the eye of unbelievers, but aren't so cringy they make believers blush. And if you aren't currently, would you pray about becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel partner? Help us continue to reach millions all over the world with the gospel. Just visit wretched.org donate, or you can also just as easily text the word wretched to the number 44321. <laughs> Books of the Bible Titus was an apprentice and fellow missionary with Paul, left on the island of Crete to organize the churches there. The book of Titus is a manual regarding the character, behavior, and doctrine of church leaders and church members. All of these commands are grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us, and who we are in him. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This is Wretched Radio. Do you know which era it is? There can be a lot of them in one lifetime. In evangelical Christianity, we've seen a lot of movements, pushes, fads, novelties, and there was none, no bigger than the purpose-driven life and the purpose-driven church. Named one of the 100, top 100 most influential books in Christianity that changed a nation. Because the purpose-driven life, the purpose-driven church model, it didn't just keep itself contained to literature. It also went into churches to train other pastors how to be seeker-sensitive. I bring this up because it appears we're ending the era of purpose-driven church or at least we should hope so, because Pastor Rick Warren is retiring at the age of 67. He's decided to pass the baton to a fellow who ran the Purpose Driven Church playbook to a T in San Francisco, gaining 3,000 members in a few short years, because the playbook works. It dulls the blunted edges of Christianity. It, it, it dulls the sharp edges. It sands off anything that could cause some sort of friction or make somebody feel bad in order to bring them through the front door. Then, supposedly, you get them in by doing a lot of softball on Sunday morning, and then we play hardball on Wednesday nights. 
well, that's what it says, but that's not what it is. And that's not what it can be because anybody who is astute is going to stop and go, now, wait a second. Why didn't the pastor tell me that about Jesus? Wait, he's the only true and living God. I never heard that before. What do you mean? I'm a terrible, total depraved sinner. What's going on here? Rightly so, because it is a bait and switch methodology. And it appears to have influenced millions of pastors, millions of pastors around the globe. It started with men like Norman Vincent Peale, Robert Schuller, but Rick Warren really is the grandfather of the seeker-sensitive movement. He is retiring. Let's hope that we are done with seeker-sensitivity, which does no favors to nobody. And I, and I know this to be true. I've, I've, I've seen this before. People who will leave a seeker-sensitive church, and then they go into a Bible church, and they wonder, where was the balm? Why didn't I hear this before? Those people, they robbed me of so much good in my life. 67, retiring. We'll see if he continues doing anything, but it does appear that he is passing the baton. News story. (laughs) This is, oh, Jimmy, you're going to love this. Uh Uh-oh, what is it? This might be the biggest news story that we have for you today. Maybe I should save that for the end. I'll save that one for the end. Okay. With a minute left, remind me. Okay. We'll get to the big one right here. The important one that has mega impact for generations to come. Now I can't wait. Mm-hmm. This was a review that was done in the Christian Post by Leonardo Blair. He spent $300 to purchase the MetaQuest 2. It is a virtual reality goggle that you put on so that you can go to <clears throat> You Think Church online. That's what you think. Here's from the review. I noticed some people would come into the virtual church space and look for a while, then leave if they found nothing compelling. Yep. How easy to shop for church online. In a physical church, leaving a service you didn't find interesting isn't as easy to do due to social pressure in the metaverse because you're an avatar state. No, you're not an avatar state. You're pretending to be pixels. That's all. You're not an avatar state. And you aren't necessarily reflecting your true name and your profile. Hmm. The others can easily view before deciding to talk to you. That social pressure is almost non-existent. Hmm. The metaverse church sweeping the globe. Maybe I heard somebody say that the metaverse thing isn't really taking off. I'm trying to recall who told me. That just because Mark Zuckerberg is now all about pushing the metaverse, it's not the first time it's been pushed. This has been out there for a while. Eh. Do I think it's a sin if you want to put on some goggles to go someplace? No, but don't be deceived. You're not going anywhere. You're still sitting on your couch. You're, 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 you're not really snorkeling in the Caribbean. It, it, it is an experience, so I guess it can be used for those things. But I wonder how many people will grow increasingly depressed with life. Social media already does that. It already shows everybody in a mountaintop experience. I was talking with a fellow Todd at church, and he was talking about the different people in church and what they're struggling with and the cancer here and the dying there and the health struggles there. And he said, you know, not much of the Christian life has lived on the mountaintop. Most of the time, it's on the slopes or in the valleys. 
And yet, what does social media portray? Everybody's on the mountaintop. My life is terrible. I'm awful. I'm a failure. I want to kill myself. Increasingly, that is the conclusion of far too many people because of social media. Now, imagine that you can go into a pretend world and experience pretend things. Take off your goggles. Now, go change the diaper. Take off your goggles from your growing coffee beans in Colombia to making dinner again because your kids are crying. It's going to hurt a lot of people and make people even more depressed. That's my prediction, but I ain't no Nostradamus. Back to the review from the Christian Post. The awareness there could be a more useful church experience a few clicks away also helps to drive the transient attendance in the metaverse church. Wow, you thought church shopping was bad in the real world. The only thing you have to do is go back to the menu of live services and choose the service you find most interesting for the day. What I found interesting, I didn't realize this. When this guy went into a church, there'd be like four people, six people. And it was these big like life church metaverse churches. The guy actually has to deliver a sermon. That's his habit. So he's got to be deli- he's he's actually using his time. It's not like a pre-recorded or just a pixel generated thing. He's actually delivering the sermon to like four people who walk in, walk out, aren't paying attention, doing other stuff, walk away. Seems like a lot of time and energy, if you don't mind me saying so. Do I think it's a good place to evangelize? Um, quite probably is. Church news. This is just another one, but let's just use this one because it's a big one, but there's so many of these going on constantly around the globe. Terrorists massacre 50 or more Christians in a Nigerian church, shooting those who showed up. It was a Catholic church, terrorists and evil people and Muslims, they don't discriminate. Side note, Guns are strictly regulated in Nigeria. Citizens have no legal right to gun ownership, and civilians are banned from owning handguns, military rifles, or machine guns. Nevertheless, somebody found some and used them on Christians. 70 Methodist churches splitting from the Georgia Methodist Church branch. Methodism is the third largest Protestant denomination in the United States. And because back in 2019 at the General Conference, they voted to the practice of homosexuality or the ordination of marriage of self-avowed practicing homosexuals as resolved and adopted since 2019. Um, If you're a Methodist and you're born again, it's, it's time to find a new home. And I'm sorry. I really am. Maybe you grew up in in a very solid denomination. Maybe even your local church was a solid expression of a denomination that has gone astray, but they've gone astray. The ordination of women, the ordinating of of marriages for gay couples. It's 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 time to find a new church home. The 70 churches that chose to disaffiliate represent 9% of the congregations in the conference. That's Georgia alone. 3% of the membership, which means it's a a small churches that are leaving. 70. Out of what would that be? Like 700? Hey, hey, it's a minute left. You want the big story? I've been waiting. Sitting on the the edge of my seat. Oh, this this is the one. 
that could change the course of humanity received an email from Kale. It has come to my attention that you thought church sign guy called in. You know, the buffoon that sang the bravado with the church sign from months ago. I must confess, my name is Kale. I'm a Baptist pastor of a small rural church in Missouri. Two children, lovely wife, and I'm church sign guy. <laughs> we don't know who church sign guy is. Ah, that's a I, big deal. I told you, this this is the one that was worth waiting for. Friel, how many lies a day do you tell? <laughs> Until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>